really about to paint my whole face without shaving this scruff? I really just started this video and didn't even shave. I have foundation on my face. Hold up. You can know people and they're like... You can know... What the fuck is happening to me? Oh, hi. And welcome to my house. And another episode of Murder's a Drag. This is episode 19. Because next week is... 20 honey, honey 20, sweet like honey. I'm gonna start sharing my sources at the beginnings of the videos. I'm also gonna stop trying to be so emotional and expressive with my eyebrows because they just like to fly all over the place when I'm talking and I, they don't look good unless I stay still. Um, as you can see this week, I have a new backdrop courtesy of my brother for my birthday, um, which is next month, but he can't help himself and gives gifts as soon as he buys them. Appreciate it though, look great. Yeah, so sources this week are HRC article by HRC staff, a News One article by News One staff, Detroit News article by Oralander Brand Williams, and a Rolling Stone article by Lily Danziger. So in October of last year, I covered the mass murder of transgendered women of color in America, um, specifically black transgendered women. And since that episode last year, that number has risen drastically and continues to rise as these women are murdered at a disproportionate rate. When I recorded that particular episode, I wanted to encompass like the full scope of the mass murder that's happening in our country and around the world right now. Uh, so it wasn't as personal as I might have liked it to be, but I did think that the episode accomplished what I wanted it to accomplish, if that makes sense. However, obviously I'm going to go into more depth about individuals who have been murdered and their individual life and their individual story. Individual. I obviously have this white privilege that can pull a nice, comfortable sheet of ignorance over my eyes to these types of mass murders and these types of situations. So I try my hardest to not whitewash this show or podcast based on my own personal biases and privileges. So I hope that I am doing that. And if I'm ever not doing that, then I definitely want to be told so I can adjust and correct. That is my attitude towards most anything in life. Adjust and correct. Essentially, I'm actively researching lesser-known and lesser-reported-on cases of, of queer true crime within our community because uh, I want to learn about it personally. I think that we should all learn about it, and we should give these individuals a platform where they can be remembered, respected, and lifted up. This week, I've been researching the tragic murder of Kelly Kiana Mattel Stowe. Kelly was a member of the legendary iconic House of Ebony, which is a well-known ballroom house in the ballroom scene. They win a lot. Throughout my research, I actually watched a few videos of Kiana performing around Detroit and competing, and she just had this smile that you can tell she had really found something that she was passionate about, you know? She had really found another passion to fully embrace with her whole being, you know? A person that really performed and competed with their whole entire self. Her stage name was Kiana, but her regular everyday pedestrian name was Kelly Stowe. So I will be referring to her as Kelly throughout the rest of this video, because I'm talking about Kelly. I'm talking about Kelly and Kiana, but you guys know what I mean. If you're here, you probably know how it works with a drag queen's name. Kelly was born November 2nd, 1982 in Michigan. She attended the Raphael Tabernacle Church of Detroit, where she was pretty active there. She sang in the band. She also taught herself the tambourine and, quote, electrified the church when she played. So she played the motherfucking tambourine like there was no tomorrow. Aggressive blending, aggressively blending my highlight. 
Kelly went to David McKenzie High School where she did a fantastic job. Her grades were great the entire time. She was also a fantastic athlete in high school. She did very well in multiple sports in high school and actually won herself a full scholarship to Dakota Wesleyan University in South Dakota. I do not know if I said that right. I probably didn't. Kelly was also a member of the competitive and prestigious competition-winning choir at David McKenzie High School, so Kelly was a very talented woman for her entire life. Kelly's love for performing landed her in Detroit's ballroom scene very quickly thereafter. Being a trans woman who loves to perform and being as talented as Kelly is, that was kinda... I saw that coming. <laughs> I definitely saw that coming. And that very noticeable talent is also what landed her in the legendary iconic House of Ebony, which is not easy to get into. You can know people in the legendary iconic House of Ebony, but being in it is a whole nother ballgame. You need to be talented, mama. They want to win. So, you gotta be able to win. And it's competitive. As a black trans woman, Kelly struggled, much like every trans person of color will, uh, with a very complex set of issues from violence to a lack of health care, a lack of medical resources in general, to a lack of safe housing, to a lack of safe job environment, just all of these issues along with being a black woman, it just makes, makes the set of cards that they've been dealt much harder to play with. However, despite all of that adversity that she faced every day and night, she never lost that smile or that motivation and will to be the best Kelly that she could be. She also maintained that sense of stability through the legendary iconic House of Ebony and her family there because being in drag and being in a drag family, like I've stated a lot in this show, it's, it's truly a different experience from your traditional family, but it's, uh, I would almost argue, closer because you're willing to share more in every sense. <laughs> and as many queer folks do, Kelly found her way into sex work as a way to make ends meet for her and to help her survive. And Kelly was close with a lot of the other girls who worked out there, a lot of the other trans girls who worked out there, because that community is really close-knit. They have to look out for each other. Nobody else is going to look out for them. Nobody else is going to keep track of them, you know? That's not exactly true in all cases, because Kelly had a really supportive family, but when she was out there, nobody really knew where she was besides her sisters out on the street. In the early hours of December 7th, 2018. Kelly was in the Palmer Park area. She got into a car with a man that she had seen multiple times and that she knew. CCTV footage from a nearby gas station shows them arguing inside of his vehicle, but things aren't physical at any point, until Kelly is thrown from the vehicle and the car speeds away. At 6 a.m., in response to a call from a witness who says he saw a person being thrown from a car, an officer arrives on scene and finds Kelly there. She finds her not breathing, she's unresponsive and cold to the touch. And when she inspects further, she finds that Kelly's been shot once fatally in the underarm, killing her. Being the tight-knit community it was, news broke quickly by word of mouth and eyewitness that Kelly was dead and that she had been murdered. This was already being investigated as a homicide, but Kelly hadn't officially been identified as the victim. However, people saw, so they knew. The fear in these cases is palpable because firstly, there's fear of never getting justice and never getting an answer to what's happened to your loved one. And then there's transgender sex workers who have to talk and be interviewed by the people who brutalize and arrest them at a disproportionate rate to any other person. Then there's the fear of being murdered while doing sex work every day to survive. Then there's the fear every day of them having their rights stripped away from them by the American government 
while the world just watches. It's, it's gut-wrenching to think of. In this case, we have brave women like Kyra Butts to thank for stepping up and testifying on behalf of Kelly to get her murderer caught. Sterling Heights pastor, Albert Weathers, is known to the trans girls who work around the Palmer Park area as a guy who drives around for a while before choosing his date. And accounts from multiple women who worked in the Palmer Park area confirmed that Albert and Kelly knew each other and had somewhat of a regular relationship with each other. And those who had transactional encounters with him all testified that he liked to play games and try to switch up the fee after they had already had sex and try to pay them less or not pay them at all. He would try to stiff sex workers a lot. Hmm, maybe not the best choice of words. No, definitely not a good choice of words. But this, this is sex work, Albert. You don't get a fucking discount. I, I... You're buying sex. You don't get a discount for that. There's no discount for that. That's not how that fucking works, dude. After reviewing the CCTV footage from that nearby gas station, when they were able to identify the car and therefore identify that Albert was the one in the vehicle and the one who murdered Kelly Stowe. He was then arrested and charged with open murder and sits in jail on a $1 million bond. Albert decided with his endless wisdom that he was going to plead self-defense um, and say that he was being robbed. The CCTV footage can't completely discredit that claim because it's not entirely visible, but the lack of physical contact until Kelly is shot and then thrown out of the car pretty much indicates to me that he's lying. And to further prove that Albert is a dick, an hour after he had murdered Kelly when he arrived to work, he called 911 and claimed that he was robbed. He said that a woman approached his car at the gas station. He was just getting gas. He didn't know this person. Already a lie. And he said that they just got in his car and pulled out a metal object and started threatening him with it. And things got physical. And then he discharged his weapon and he said, I may have hit them. As if he didn't know that he shot her in close range under the arm, pushed her out of his car, and then left her in the street to bleed out. That's, I mean, it's not self-defense, you fucking prick. His 911 call is such a pitiful lie and cover-up, and you can just hear him grasping for straws and trying to concoct a story about what happened when the reality of it is that he just killed her. So that call really didn't help his case any because it was such a clear attempt at trying to cover his ass. And everything was pretty much looking up in the case that there was going to be justice served. Until the proceedings hit a major hiccup because the residing judge had to recuse herself. Which, for anybody who doesn't know what that means, because I sure didn't, it means that the judge takes himself off the case for whatever reason. In this case, it was a conflict of interests, because she had previously donated to some fundraiser for this pastor's wife. You can't really blame her, because there was no way for her to know that she would end up in that seat. But it really, really sucks. And this doesn't mean that a mistrial is declared or anything, it just pushes this case back so far when it was going so well, and that's just rare for something like this. In, in a case like this, that's just rare. My hope with this case is that it keeps the momentum that it has when a new judge is assigned, and that Kelly Kiana Mattel Stowe from the legendary iconic House of Ebony gets the justice that she really fucking deserves. Kelly was a very vocal activist for trans women of color being murdered, specifically black trans sex workers being murdered, before she became a victim of that herself. And in 2015, after the murder of her trans sister, Amber Monroe, not even two blocks away from where Kiana herself would eventually be murdered, Kelly had given a quote to The Guardian, and she said, 
The police are unaware with our struggle, so they have no sympathy for us. Nobody ever asks what happened to that person to get here. And if her giving that quote three years before she would end up being a murder victim herself isn't powerful, then I truly don't know what is. Being the talented and well-known individual that Kelly was, I have no doubt that she's already being remembered and respected for who she was in her community. There's been benefit shows already to support her family and their expenses that they might have to go through legally and for Kelly's arrangements themselves. So it's, it's a good situation, as good as it can be out there as far as support and respect goes for Kelly. You know the drill, it's time for lashes and zhuzhing and whatnot. So I'll be right back. Yes, and that's the look for this week. Big hair, new hair, don't care. This hair is by my drag mom, Vegas Van Dank. She makes really nice wigs, so if you like my hair, you should hit her up. Um, another shout out to Jeff Taylor for calling me out on not crediting my reporters on the articles that I uh, research from. Valid point. I've given credit where credit is due. Even credit to you for giving me that correction. Credit, uh, credit everywhere. Good credit scores, credit karma, credit debit. Um, wow, I really like this wig. I love this wig. But I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. Wait. Also, you might already know because you might be watching it there. But this experience, Extravaganza, is now available on a new platform called Out at TV. Or you can go to outat.tv and watch it online. But it's available as an app on Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Google Play, and soon to be on the Apple App Store. And again, that is Out at TV. Not to be mistaken with Out TV, different network. Out at TV is where this is at. <laughs> Alright, bye. See you next week.